0: Hello and welcome to the next edition of Fridays with Fintellect. My name is Sharish Bhathak. I head Fintellect Advisory Services and for those of you who don't know us, we are focused on research, training and advisory in the area of anti-money laundering and countering terrorist financing and financial crime related matters. In Fridays with Fintellect, we will publish a webcast every Friday at which I will engage in conversation with thought leaders in the aml domain in our quest to bring you Additional knowledge and insights in this fast-moving field. My guest today is Halabu Alwan, a good friend and a very accomplished professional. She is the founder and CEO of Halabu Alwan Consultancy, a specialized firm in GRC advisory and training. Hala is a lawyer who holds three master's degrees in AI, financial crime, international business law, and cybersecurity from Las Vegas University, Lebanon, and Boston University, USA. She is an experienced leader with more than 18 years in this field and is considered a thought leader in governance, risk, compliance, AML, CFT, sanctions, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and virtual assets. Allah, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Sidesh, for having me today. And uh, thank you for organizing this fantastic podcast and webinars. I think it's very timely and it's helping the community and I'm very happy to be with you again after our event in Sutra last year.
0: Well, my first question to you is, you know, it appears that one of the main concerns for banks currently is how to comply with compliance communication guidelines as a large percentage of operations staff is working from home, leading potentially to backlogs. So in your interaction with banks, especially in the Middle East, are you seeing this as a compliance challenge?
1: Thank you, Shirish. it's definitely a great question. Communication and all its types, whether regulatory, whether compliance, whether customer communication, internal communication, all of them are affected and, and are affected hugely actually big time. And uh, when we say communication, one of the things which we need to keep in mind is not to limit communication to the compliance part of communication or governance communication. Communication, like to make it easier, it can be of two types, it's external, with customers, with third parties, with regulators, with governments, with enforcement agencies, investigation unit, or it can be internal within the organization, with the staff, with the board. So there are two types of communication, internal and external. And if you ask me if they are affected, both of them are impacted big time. So what the firm should, be, should do in this case, the most important thing, despite it's hard to say, Um, it's, It's hard actually to implement, sorry. I urge like banks and firms not to panic. There is definitely a panic mode, but not to panic and just be aware that with structure in place, we minimize the damage as much as possible. So the first important thing is to create a pandemic task force. And this pandemic task force, their main, main mission is to facilitate the communication between staff, IT, compliance, HR, customers, regulators, enforcement agencies. So, and when we go, like, if we want to make it more specific and practical for firms, for example, if we ask a question, so what should be done with customers and third parties? Like, what are the main key areas which we need to keep uh, in mind? Archiving the communication during working from home is a key. It's very important, and it's the key for like continuity, and it's very uh, definitely along with safeguard measures. Of course, it's not enough. Also, communicate with customers what has been done behind the scenes, to be able to provide them this assurance. Uh, will will they have business continuity? There will there be any interruptions in certain areas, for example? Will there be any delays uh, which they might experience? This is very important. And the second question which we uh, ask also, so what, we talked about customers and third parties. So what should we do with the staff internally? Like what are the types of communication which we should keep in mind in order to mitigate any anti, any, sorry, any lack of communication risks? Definitely business continuity strategies, much has to be spelled very clearly among um, the staff. They should know, everyone should know what to do, what's their positions, uh, what are the range of possible scenarios, uh, the duration, the national, like local ones, multinationals for multinationals. There's lots of different dynamics depending on the bank or the organization we're talking about. Uh, So they should spell out remote access solutions, uh, emergency procedures that outline how to recover data equipment, reach employees, security specialists. Also, the backup systems must be well-established and responsibilities should be allocated very clearly and communicated. There should be a point person which should be communicating inquiries and sending updates to top executive and board directors, which we will come to that later. Those should not be excluded especially the board should be included so much into, into the communication. So the governance communication mechanism should always flow, regardless what is the situation. Also, should, the firm should communicate all relevant policies and procedures, um, and make sure that those policies and procedures continue to be implemented despite of the situation. And definitely the security protocols will never be relaxed specifically in this situation. So, this, the question, the, also the last question which we ask ourselves is what about the regulatory authorities, supervisory authority, investigation unit? What should we do? It, the communication in this situation should be strengthened more than ever. And it's mutual, it's not only from the organization to the regulator or the enforcement agency, it's vice versa. They should encourage the entity to report. To, to submit suspicious transaction um, reports to submit any concern, raise any concern they have that they, can, they should encourage this continuous dialogue which between supervisors and the banks, especially when working remotely. So they should have this you know safe mechanism like I can reach the regulator despite anything I can take their advice. I can submit continue submitting. And regulators and enforcement agencies should show them back. Uh, this that they are there, they are alert, they are ready in order to answer any questions, take action. So this is very important on those three levels. As you mentioned, customers, third parties, staff, and regulatory authorities and enforcement agencies. Thank
0: now With many banks opting for non-face-to-face KYC, there could possibly be lapses in proper due diligence when onboarding new customers. What are your views on this?
1: Thank you. Definitely not having face-to-face communication, a face-to-face KYC is a challenge, definitely. But banks and other institutions should not accept to be vulnerable to this huge challenge. And not like, to because I've seen, I'm talking to certain banks and compliance officers, AMN, some of them are desperate. They're losing hope. They're saying, oh, so many money laundering attacks will, will happen to us. Terrorist financing, etc." And they don't know what to do because of the panic, which we talked about, which understandable. And the, yes, we can't do face-to-face KYC in this time, but there are much more alternative things we can use in order to fill in the gaps. It might not be efficient as the face-to-face, but at least if we do several things together and put them together, it will be efficient at the end of the day. So one of the ways we can, we can uh, use is, for example, having alternative proof of identity processes, uh, using electronic copies, scans, photograph of reliable and independent documentation, of course, relying on disclosure certificates to verify certain types of information about customers who specifically are not individuals. However, doing all this and collecting all this documentation, it's not not enough, we don't stop there. So first, we shouldn't forget that once we collect those information and we have a preliminary view of it, we have to apply the risk-based approach. Even if the information we have is not as enough as we would love it to be, the risk-based approach should be applied. So it's very important, to, like not to forget this element specifically. And one of the things which actually caught my attention, I was reading about that after talking to some of my clients and seeing that the panic um, and wanting to compare like other countries what they are doing versus Middle East. Uh, and this not this this doesn't mean that Middle East is not applying these things, but not all the Middle East countries in the Gulf. We are seeing amazing proactive. Um, like activities and actions in order to mitigate these risks. Uh, however, not all the countries, and I think it's, it's a global thing as well. So Australia caught my attention. They changed their AML rules and everything in order to satisfy this pandemic phase, which make it more flexible, more lenient, uh, definitely at the same time not jeopardizing uh, what should be done. So one of the things which uh, they, they are applying is using video calls, using Skype, uh, Zoom, face-to-face to compare physical identity of the customer with the scanned and photographed copies of identification documents which they got. Also requiring a customer to have a, a clear front view selfie of themselves that can be compared with scanned uh, or photographed copies of identification documents telephoning the customer to ask questions about their identification, the reason for requesting a designated service, or other questions that would uh, assist in ascertaining whether the customer is who they claim to be. Definitely, as mentioned, it's not easy. However, with those things, whether Zoom, Skype, uh, selfies, all of that, put them together, have a phone call, validate everything together, I think we can do it. We can replace not permanently but just now in this phase the kyc requirement and i think we can have uh, as much accuracy as possible thank you
0: customer behavior and transaction patterns have undergone substantial changes due to the lockdown in various countries how will this impact the identification of suspicious transactions based on the customer's previously defined profile
1: thank you sir definitely this is a struggle uh, i was talking to many compliance officers aml officers and they said the very same uh, and one of the things like which led to this is wire transfers had dropped like a quarter at least a quarter since the start of february and the disruptions in the global economy as everyone knows balancing out the search and cash withdrawals uh, online banking, cryptocurrency related activities. So this definitely might create confusion because this is not the regular behavioral pattern. So for example many bank um, officials when you talk to them and they say it's it's crazy how people are withdrawing hard currency in a state of panic. And also uh, many people turning into mobile apps who so they never used mobile apps or because they think it's safer now. Because of the situation, and many use virtual currency in massive, massive volumes, like cryptocurrency, and many others, and like massive uh, amounts, which is not the regular behavior patterns. And as per the AML officers, this creates sometimes confusion because the the massive amount and um, um, continuous, frequent transactions, which is not a norm with the regular behavior. They confuse them sometimes. Like um, it's it's very hard for them. Like they, when you talk to them, they tell you, "I can't differentiate anymore between legitimate activity in time of crisis, and people are panicking and illegal transactions." Um, so they it's really creating this. They can't discriminate. They can't differentiate. Also, Fincen actually, I was reading a report on Fincen on on this specific topic, which is very interesting. They said that they are receiving multiple of uh, suspicious transaction reports, flagging attempts by fraudsters to exploit fears of the pandemic uh, to sell champ cures, for example, raise funds of fraudulent charities and the victims into handling over like money by impersonating even government officials imagine, among other scams. With all this, many things are happening and the confusion and the behavioral trend which is changing, definitely it's a huge struggle for for banks and actually i I don't want to just like uh it to banks i think this is a struggle among any organization which should do uh kyc which uh, in my point of view everyone should do kyc for their customers but definitely when it comes to financial institutions it's always of high risk so with all this confusion um again i i urge banks and firms not to overthink and complicate the process. Uh, it is complicated as much as it is, and we have those challenges already. So as mentioned, as I always say to and advise clients and help them during these um, uh, times, structure in place, communication, continue doing what you've been doing, put alternatives to the things you can't do these days because of the social distancing find alternatives, so undergo the same regular compliance measures and the risk-based approach, which you usually do, Uh, but definitely in a much more proactive pace, given the criminal creativity in these times, which we will come also to this talking about criminal creativity. Uh, I think this, this definitely should be included in their compliance program, monitoring plans, policies and procedures, government implementation what alternatives, what kind of confusion the new behavioral trends of uh, customers might cause, how to deal with it, despite if, if it's a trend and people are panicking, people are withdrawing so much cash using cryptocurrency and crazy amounts, crazy volumes. If you still feel there's something suspicious, you're not comfortable, follow the same procedures you always follow and report it. So there's nothing with, with cha- which changed. And also, for, remember, FATF recent recommendations. So whatever is required by FATF, you have to apply it even in these times. So if the behavior doesn't make sense, despite there is a crisis, report the case. You report, like, you you do your responsibility. Um, um, Do definitely, first, the due diligence. Put things together and continue reporting. Um, Don't confuse things together. Yes, it might be um, overwhelming. Yes, it might be like I had a client uh, last week who asked me that. They had uh, a very disciplined customer who never withdraw cash in his life. They use on- online banking and if they withdraw cash, it's a very small amount, amount. And these days, it's an old individual. Their customer is like, I think he, they mentioned like 77 years old. These days, the amount of cryptocurrency transactions and cash withdrawals is crazy. And this is one of their loyal clients who they have since like many, many years. No single suspicious transaction, low-risk client. However, they had to report it because the amount of of cash withdrawal didn't make sense. He was withdrawing cash twice a day with large amounts. Uh, So this is like a normal example of what's happening. Thank you.
0: Hala, cyber security has come to the forefront during this pandemic, especially as criminals have stepped up their activities in cyberspace. Uh, can you take our listeners through some of the new types of cyber methodologies being used by criminals, including the use of crypto, and also give them some pointers on how to protect their systems and customers from these risks?
1: Oh, that's... That's a very interesting question because cyber criminals, I think out of all criminals are the most creative during this pandemic times. Uh, I was reading something uh, yesterday, and it's very interesting. I actually, I urge everyone to read. It. It's very interesting. It's released by the FBI. And they say the cyber crimes reports quadrupled during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the creativity is beyond imagination and they are taking advantage of the covid-19 crisis and creating all their, their crimes and attacks so for example they are creating fraudulent domain amount, uh, uh, fraudulent internet domains setting up fraudulent covid uh, charities you see a lot of covid charities i got invited to actually to contribute to one which was also a, a scam Promising delivery of masks and other equipment, specifically now if you go, for example, to Amazon or other, uh, you see like it's out of stock or you have to wait for two, three weeks. So this is an alternative. We provide masks, it's 24 hours, all of that. Uh, and then deliver also fraudulent loans, extortion, etc., etc. Uh, so that also, in addition to that, uh, FBI highlighted that the health sector is the most targeted uh, these days, actually one of the most targeted these days. And this sector definitely should apply a very strict enhanced due diligence um, on their supply chains, because of what we mentioned, um, like taking advantage of the COVID-19, uh, specifically when it comes to masks or certain sanitizers, etc., related to the requirements during the crisis. And one of the things which um, I would actually like to read, um, because it's, it's said very nicely by the FBI and summarizes everything, that uh, FBI urged everyone to keep in mind, because of this cyber creativity, things which can be considered as warning signs. Okay, I'm going to read it now. The use of urgency and last-minute changes in wire instructions or recipient amount information. Last-minute changes, an establishment communi- established communication platform or email amount addresses, account addresses, communication only an email, and refusal to communicate via phone. By the way, this is exactly what happened to me with the charity. When I said uh, let's have a call, they said we don't have a phone, just we limited to email uh, email uh, communication. Requests. For advanced payment of services when not previously required, requests from employees to change direct deposit information. I think like FBI summarized the warning signs in an amazing way. So I urge everyone to go to the FBI website, and really it's uh, set out there in a very clear way. It's um, it spread awareness. It gives you um, more knowledge on the uh, warning signs and how to mitigate it. So.
0: Just go and read it. Thank you. With global trade reduced due to closing of international borders as well as a reduction in demand, how do you think this will affect trade-based money laundering? Will we see more of service-based money laundering happening? Uh, and what should banks do to monitor trade transactions and you know, more effectively deal with suspicious activities related to trade?
1: Trade-based money laundering, this is uh, something which definitely is affected during the pandemic, and I think uh, the the special attention should be given uh, to cross-border trade finance activities when it's linked to medical and pharmaceutical supplies, as you mentioned when we talked about cyber crimes. This is the most targeted area when it comes to trading and trade finance activities. And uh, also, I was reading, like, um, in addition to uh, FBI, there is um, actually a very nice white -white paper, which is called Trade-Based Money Laundering During Coronavirus Outbreak, which listed amazing examples on that. And I urge everyone to read it. It's very nice, and it's an eye-opener. So the demand of these types of products when it comes to medical and pharmaceutical keep on increasing exponentially, as we know because of the demand with the number of positive cases and increasing positive cases and spreading internationally, globally, with volatile prices, of course. Criminals may well try to benefit of that. You know, this is a fantastic areas because, area because they take the angle of that we're doing something human, we're helping humanity and health sectors. So banks and non-banking a financial institutions should therefore during this crisis like, open their eye uh, and increasing increase the screening and monitoring in these types of transactions, specifically in these areas as we mentioned. Red flags can be, for example, as the regular red flags which we see in trade-based money laundering. However, in these specific areas like over or underpricing, unjustified trans- transportation route, um, line of business which is un- unjustifiable, it doesn't make sense, uh, weird location, to the company which is doing that, that distributing it, with distribution mechanism, which doesn't also make sense, and many other things, which usually we analyze when it comes to, for example, letter of granted or a letter of guarantee. When we do the analysis for trade-based money laundering, we look about pricing, routing, uh, transportation mechanism, uh, areas, countries of distribution, all of that. So it's the same thing, but. Please open your eyes when it comes to uh, products related to medical. For example, some of the red flags with this white paper I mentioned uh, highlighted, uh, they said that recently incorporated companies with no or little track record in supplying medical or pharmaceutical products. This is a red flag. Companies having, for example, a track record in supplying medical or pharmaceutical products where there has been recent change in the controlling structure and where the set controlling structure cannot be properly identified or appeal, appear uh, like unjustifiably or unusually complex. This is another red flag. Uh, another example mentioned by the white paper, and I'm reading it now just to be accurate, they have like just to give them justice. A company is shipping medical or pharmaceutical products to a country and there is no plant cargo. Flight or vessel in the specified shipping period or route. That's another like uh, high risk. It's a red flag. Trade documents that include vague description of goods and of their nature. A company, a price of goods or shipments that appear manifestly excessive or abnormally high. And the last thing that the paper mentioned, which is also interesting, a company receiving shipment of medical or pharmaceutical products has no economic or lawful justification for this transaction. Example, it is not the usual business activity of the company. So if we see this and we analyze it, as you mentioned, Shirish, it's the same trade-based money laundering uh, uh, activities we do in order to mitigate the risk. However, in this sector, related to the crisis, and there are many cases which are caught so far, which is a positive thing. So there's lots of awareness. Awareness are increased. And in February, there's the cases which were not captured. March is more, like we have more captured cases, more reporting, uh, more cases are reported for that because of the awareness, which uh, I think needs to be continuously addressed to uh, banks, financial institutions, and any organization dealing with that. Thank you.
0: So, almost all banks have defined AML governance frameworks in place which articulate how the bank will address risk identification, monitoring, training, technology, as well as the stated or implied risk appetite of the bank. What impact do you think the pandemic situation will create on governance and business conduct of banks?
1: Thank you, Sirish. It's definitely a very important question. And I think everything we've been talking during this podcast since the beginning till now is about governance. Because as we know, governance is about communication, it's about reporting, it's about continuity, it's about enforcement, it's about transparency, it's about internal controls. And we've talked about all of that during the amazing questions which you asked me. Um, so definitely, in order to maintain this governance, which is definitely impacted, during the crisis, because of the loose ends which we have to tie, because of the social distancing, because of the sudden change of norm of behavior and way of doing things. So, again, we go to the panic, we go to the fear, which sometimes creates these gaps in governance like putting everything we talked about during this podcast, whether security measures, whether communication, whether fighting crimes, financial crimes and other crimes, whether KYC and identification process, also trade-based money laundering, which is part of the internal controls and fighting crimes, all together, along with the continuity, which every organization should have and set very clearly as we addressed in the beginning, Business continuity should be there. Business continuity, everyone should be included, including the board and the executives. There should be a normal communication together, awareness what's going on. Board meetings should continue. There's no excuse because of the crisis and social distancing. It's the same thing how we're still doing the, our meetings with our clients. We're doing this podcast together, so continuity is there. We didn't stop. Look at what you're doing on daily basis, on weekly basis, like awareness, trainings. Uh, you didn't stop, despite of all the challenges. Same thing every organization should do. Continuity, um, board meeting, as mentioned, same thing, same action points. Definitely we tweak the topics, because now maybe the imp- priorities have changed because of that. We include it, uh, we discuss it, board committees meet, we take decisions, we take action points. Enforcement, same thing. Um, one of the main elements of, commun- of governance is enforcement. Enforcement, whether it's external or internal, from regulators to regulated entities, or from regulated entities to their staff. Same thing, enforcement for and making sure that people are accountable, and now accountable more than any time before, because people sometimes might li- like feel lazy, lay back because of uh, working from home, which gives us this, you know? um, You know, we get lazy sometimes. We get, because family is there, we're not used to this psychologically, like to act professional all the time. Uh, Enforcement, accountability should remain there and be enforced. So the organization should stress on the importance of enforcement because it's a great element of uh, of, uh, governance. Also, IT governance, this is a huge element and important key of governance, which we shouldn't like leave behind. IT governance, whether communication, whether having, anticipating, for example, additional burdens. Because now individuals are working remotely, so there might be technology problems. So this is an element of continuity. And as we say, governance is a skeleton of every organization. Continuity keeps the skeleton together. So IT governance is very important. Compliance and risk departments should continuously coordinate with IT because now it's their core. It's the, the, the area, it's the departments which they rely on because we are all working remotely. And definitely training. There's no excuse that training cannot happen. We are doing trainings. You and me our clients all the time during the Zoom. We are doing this podcast. Um, we are doing um, web- webinars, even there are amazing seminars now. The seminars are replaced by online seminars. So training can be done online. So the training plan, which we had, we continue it. HR training, learning and development department should continue the, these trainings and awareness. And new things now, training on how to deal with these crises, with the continue business continuity, with. Uh, new types of KYC, new uh, red flags, uh, behavioral traits, everything we covered uh, in this podcast. Um, And with this, I think we covered communication, transparency, enforcement, um, all of these important elements of governance. Um, I think with keeping in mind, being aware, being trained, having this extra urge, because I know now sometimes we might, some people might love to take the easy route, you know? Since there's a crisis, let me live the crisis and let me not do the duties as I should be doing it. Um, so I urge everyone to keep in mind that this is a phase, this is temporary, it's not permanent at all, it's gonna pass. So whatever you've been doing, continue doing it with being more proactive, keeping in mind that their priorities has changed and keeping in mind that criminals are being more creative, so be more alert, be more ahead of the game, and uh, psychologically keep reminding yourself that this will pass, uh, but your duties remain the same wherever you are, working from home or working from office. Thank you so much, Salish, and thank you very much for having
0: uh, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us, which I'm sure will be very useful for the Fentilet community as well as others who watch this.
1: Thank you so much, Sirish, for having me. It was a pleasure. And I hope we continue doing these things together. Thank you so much and best of luck.
0: Listeners, please join us again next Friday for the next session. This is Shirish from Fentilet signing out.